We're going to talk about sin today. I didn't know if you knew this or not, but my society, our culture has uh, completely thrown sin away. Uh, people don't believe that there is such a thing as sin anymore. And not only have we, uh, you know, sin is so 1950s now. Not only do we not talk about sin in our society anymore, we live in a culture that gets angry if you talk about it. We live in a culture that's not going to put up with it. Matter of fact, the countries of Canada and Great Britain have outlawed the discussion of sin. And under what they call hate speech crime laws, it is illegal for preachers to say certain things out of the Bible. That's in Canada and the Great Britain right now. I know, I've seen where men have gone to jail for calling certain things sin in those nations. We have an element that would love to do that in our nation. When they do, Sheriff Johnson can go ahead and get my cell ready. Just make sure there's a Bible in there. <laughs> but let me ask you a simple question. <clears throat> if sin is not a problem anymore and it's out of vogue and it's out of date, why did God Almighty tell me to talk to him about it? Why did he tell me to ask him to forgive me my sins? If it's not a problem, if it's gone, <clears throat> Why does this Bible tell me to talk to him about it? Obviously, it tells me that the God of heaven knows something that the culture doesn't know. Surprise. So we're going to talk about that today. And uh, I want us to do this. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not. I don't know if you've ever, I doubt there's anybody in this room who hadn't heard sin or the name mentioned whatnot. But I want you to do something today. I just want you to look in your Bible at what I show you today. And let's learn from what the Bible says I think most religions even add stuff to the Bible that they don't need to add. But I want you to just look in the Bible today. If you've never had anybody point this out to you in the Bible, let me do it today. To begin with, I want you to turn to Romans 3.23 and let's ask the question, what's wrong with it? Romans 3.23. Since Hollywood says that it's good and our educational system says that it's good and now we've got entire denominations saying that it's good, is something wrong with God? for him to say that there's something wrong with it. Well, let's just read. What does the Bible have to say? I don't know if you're familiar with this verse or not, but it's a very short verse that captures a tremendous thought. And it says this, Romans 3.23 says this. <clears throat> Democrats have sinned. <laughs> or you can put in Republicans if you're on the other side. Somebody tell me what the Greek word all means. All have sinned. Now here's the problem and come short of the glory of God. What's wrong with sin? It costs you something. What does it cost you? What does it say it costs you? The glory of God. Let me put it in language you can understand. Sin costs us the glorious life we were created to live. Sin steals something from you. I'll give you a simple picture of this. <clears throat> First of the Bible, <clears throat> God created the most beautiful earth. I love this planet. He created the most beautiful earth. He put men and women in it, put a man and woman in it. They were naked, not ashamed. There was no fear. There was no shame. There was no pain. There was no argument. Nobody ever even thought an unkind thought. And we don't know how long they existed in that state. The Bible doesn't tell us. It may have been a few days. It could have been years. But they went in that glorious state. You know what they were living in? The Bible said they were living in the glory of God. The glorious condition God meant for people to live in. Genesis chapter three, an evil being comes into the garden, says to the woman, did God say, don't touch that tree? She said, that's what he said. And he said, God lied to you. 
Don't let him tell you how to live. You decide how you want to live. And she said on that day, I'm not going to listen to him anymore. I'll do what I want to do. And that's what we call the fall of man. <clears throat> that's when sin actually came into the world. And what happened immediately? What happened right away? Immediately, they were fighting with each, they were fighting with each other before the end of the day. There was shame came into the earth. They said they realized they were ashamed. Fear came into the earth on that day. All that came in one day and their children murdered one another. What happened when they sinned? They lost the glorious life that God wanted to give them. Let me tell you what's wrong with sin. It steals something from you. It steals what God created you to be. It steals the glorious life away from you. Turn a page or two to the right, maybe one page. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says this. The wages of sin, just pause right there. Does the Bible tell me that sin pays wages? All right, say you're a welder, a plumber, whatever you go to work tomorrow, you work all week. And on Friday, your boss is going to give you your wages. Tell me what wages are. It's what you earn. Does sin earn me something? What does it earn me? The wages of sin is death. That doesn't mean your heart stops beating. The word death in the Bible doesn't mean physical death. It means the death of everything good. Kills your family, kills your relationships. It'll destroy your health. It's destroying our nation right now. So the Bible says the wages of sin, the, the consequence is another word. The consequence of sin is the destruction of the great life that we were supposed to live. And it brings death to us. Now, let me, let me define sin for you. If I were to ask you, you ever heard of sin? If you were under 30, you'd say, nope. But if I were to say to you, well, what is sin? You might say, well, that's cigar smoking and whiskey drinking and card playing. Well, that, doesn't, that just means you're Baptist. That doesn't give you a definition of sin. <laughs> if I were to ask you, define, don't tell me what you think sins are. Define sin for me. Well, we'd have to go back to the book of Genesis. Here's the definition of sin. It is rebellion. Sin is rebellion. It is to deliberately refuse to do the revealed will of God. When you know what he says to do and you say, I'm not going to do that. Or you know what he says not to do and you say, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what you say. Then it becomes sin. It's rebellion. Now listen to me carefully. Only sin is what God says it is in the Bible. Now a lot of churches have lists of sins and what they call sin. It's got to say it in the Bible. When I first began to go to church as a young man, it was a sin for women to wear breeches. That's right. 40 years ago, Christian women didn't wear breeches. That's not in the Bible. Therefore, it's not sin. It might be to their church, but it's not to him. Listen, only God gets to decide what truth is. Matter of fact, in the church, first church I joined, if a woman wore jewelry, including a wedding band, that was sin. It's not sin. Uh, dancing was a sin. I mean, square dancing was a sin. You can't get no square than square dancing. <laughs> the Bible says, praise the Lord with the dance. So here, let me make a point here. A lot of people have got this list of sins that are not in the Bible. Only what the Bible calls sin is sin. And he alone gets to define it. But it is to put your fist in his face when he has revealed his will in the Bible. Got it? So that's the proper definition of it. <clears throat> and um, just over his revealed will. Now, here, here's what has happened. See if you see this in the earth. I'd have talked about the Garden of Eden. God built the most beautiful place, made the most wonderful life. Sin destroyed the great life they had. 
What's the history of our planet? What's the history of humanity? Sin has created every problem on this planet. You show me any bad thing ever happened on this planet, I can take the Bible and point you back to the sin that is the root of it. Listen, we got all kinds of explanations for what's going on in the land today. What the Bible say in John 3? Lay the ax to the root of the problem. Let's deal with it at its root. At the root of the problem is the sinful heart of humanity that wants something that somebody else has got. Uh, you can just, the myriad of reasons, but the bottom line is sin has created every problem on this planet. Rebellion against the creator has done that. My nation's in trouble right now. You didn't have to come here to hear me say that. You knew it. Our nation's in trouble right now. And we have the pundits and the talking heads trying to explain to us what the problems are. They don't even know what the problems are, much less how to fix them. Now, for instance, I'm going to pick one. Racial inequality. We're in a racial strife, racial problems right now. <clears throat> it's not a skin problem. If a white man hates a black man because of the color of his skin, that's not how I was raised. That's sin. That's sin. It's sin against God. Very clear. If a black man hates a white man because of something he's been told, <clears throat> that's not making things equal. That's sin. And many of the, I get accused once in a while of oversimplifying the complex problems in this land. You listen to me. We have made very complex the very simple issues. You don't make it complicated until you don't like what God's got to say. Then you make it complicated. But dear ones, sin is the issue. The problems in our homes are not mixed personalities and lack of understanding. It's sin. When a 13-year-old drama queen terrorizes her home, That's not a hormonal issue. That's sin. Go in that room. Take everything out of that room until it looks like a prison cell. Leave a bed and a Bible. Take the door off the hinges. Put it in the attic. Tell them, act like you got some sense for three months. We'll start treating you that way again. But if you're going to act like a fool here, you're going to get treated like one. If you're from Chapel Hill, don't melt down on me. Stick with me for a little bit. Dear ones, we don't need counseling. We need to repent and get back to what God said. It's not complicated. It's just sin. As at the root of so many of our problems like that. All righty. I'm, I'm a very clear. What about my personal life? Now I'm going to say something that would just drives counselors nuts, but I'm going to tell you what this Bible says. I'm the only person that can mess me up. Nobody can take the glory of God out of my life except me. If my life is a miserable wreck, it's not my wife's fault. It's not my boss's fault. I'm the only person who can steal the glory of God out of my life. I'm the only one through my sin can screw my life up. Let everybody be against me. Let me be born in the worst circumstances. Let me have no whatever. But if God be for me, nobody can be against me. And nothing can stop the good things he's planned. I'm the only one that can screw me up. We have mastered the art of victimization in this nation today. What we really need to do is go back to those old hymns that sang things like this. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the only one that can booger me up. <clears throat> booger me up. That's a Hebrew word for sin. <laughs> All right. Question. We're celebrating Christmas. How many of you have ever heard of Christmas? What is it? I said, Brother, I swear Jesus came to earth. Why? 
Let me show you the Christmas verse. Turn to the first page of your Bible, uh, New Testament. Turn to the first page of the New Testament. On the first page of the New Testament, which is Matthew chapter one, you find out what the purpose of Christmas is. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, but since you celebrate Christmas every year and we're fixing to, maybe you should know what we're doing. By the way, God created Christmas. I don't know if you knew that or not. I think it's humorous that people don't believe in God or celebrating Christmas. It is the mass of Christ, Christ mass. It's the celebration of Christ coming to earth. Look with me in Matthew chapter one, verse 21. The Bible said this, here's the Christmas verse. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. What's Christmas all about? Christmas is about me being saved from what? Friend, Christmas is all about sin. It's from me being saved from my sins. The Bible said Jesus would come to this earth. God would step down to this earth. And the Bible did not say uh, that he would bring me economic justice. Dear ones, finances are not my great problem according to that verse. The Bible didn't say that Jesus would come and teach me something. My lack of knowledge is not my great problem. According to that verse, what's my great problem? My sins. It doesn't say he'll save me from your sins. He will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And I want to make an announcement. You're looking at a man that needs to be saved from his sins. And we're not going to take the time to look at all the verses, but the Bible says that I need to be saved three times from my sins. Number one, I need to be saved from the ultimate penalty of sin because sin has a penalty. I don't care whether, if the professors laugh, let them laugh. God will laugh last. Let the culture mock, God will have the last word. I need to be saved from the penalty of my sin. The Bible said this, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And dear ones, my sins have earned me a one-way ticket to an eternal hell. Now there's only only one thing that makes sophisticates matter than sin, and that's when you speak of a place called hell. And I want to ask you a simple question. If there is no hell, what's that thing on the wall behind me back there? If there is no hell, why was there a cross? You don't have to die on a cross to teach people how to treat their neighbors. You can just teach them that. You don't have to die on a cross to feed people that are hungry. You can just feed them. Why'd the man have to die on that cross? There is a hell to be avoided. There is a heaven to be gained. And my sins send me to hell. His love takes me to heaven if I put my trust in him. I need to be safe from the penalty of sin. But not only that, I need to be, more than that, I've been saved from the penalty of hell, my sins. I need to be saved from the power of sin in this life. Now you, surely you would not disagree with me that even a believer that loves God finds something inside of him that is contrary to the nature of God. So a few of us have found that. I bet you if I followed you for a week, I'd find it. (laughs) There was the Bible teaches that not only was I a sinner by birth, I was born a sinner. The Bible says there's something inside of me that is rebellious even after I love God. I want you to look at this with me. Turn to Romans chapter seven. See if you see this in you. Maybe you're one of those super saints that doesn't. Pray for the rest of us. Pray for me. Romans chapter seven. Now listen to this. Romans chapter seven is talking about believers, children of God. See if you see what the Bible describes here inside of you. Romans 7, 21 says this. I find then a power, law means power, that evil is present with me, the one who wishes to do good. 
Can I get a witness? Can anybody here bear witness that you find something inside of you that there is evil there even when you want to do good? How many of you want to, I mean, you want to do right. You want to love God. You want to treat people decent. You want to honor him. But once in a while, you find something inside of you that is just not right. Right there it is. What's that called? Verse 22. I delight in the way of God in my heart, but I see another power in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into bondage to the power of sin, which is in my members. There it is. There's another power inside of there. So the Bible tells me that even if I'm a believer and I love God, there's something inside of me called the power of sin that will take a bad turn in a minute. Listen, I can just be floating along, just doing so good. I mean, just loving God, loving people, smiling, hip, hip, hooray. And all of a sudden something will happen and something comes up inside of me. And I want to say, where did that come from? The Bible does not say that I'm to try not to sin. The Bible says that Jesus is to deliver me from the power of sin. And the Holy Spirit of God, if you read a little bit further down, it says this, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me will set me free from the power of sin that's in there. I need Jesus to deliver me from the power of sin. Now I know you're super spiritual and this doesn't happen to you. You're riding down the road praising God and being a nice person and all of a sudden some derelict cuts you off and out of your heart just flows, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For, thank you for testing my driving skills. Thank you, Jesus. It's not what flows out of you. I bet you if I cut it tight enough, you'd give me the finger when I come around like that. I'm going to tell you something. I love God, but there's something in there that I need his help with. I need to be delivered from the power of sin. But number three, I need Jesus to save me from the pain of sin. Every broken heart, every wounded soul, every damaged life is the pain of sin. When you go into a home, I went and visited a home in the Bronx one time and a major league baseball player played for the New York Mets, gold glove winner. I went in there and we visited that evening, me and a friend. And it was one of the darkest, saddest homes I'd ever been in. The wife was totally crushed by the way her husband treated her. The kids cowered in fear at this great ball player. And I left, I told my buddy, I said, it's not worth it. Nobody should have to live like that. You know what that was? You said, well, maybe he needed counseling. He needed to repent and get Jesus in his life and learn how to treat his family. That's the pain of sin. And how many relationships have been damaged it's not a misunderstanding. God, God says, call it what I call it and I can help you with it. I need to be delivered from the pain of sin. That's why the Bible said, Jesus said, I'm anointed to heal the brokenhearted and to heal the pain of sin. I'm going to tell you something. We've kicked sin to the curb in our land. It is the root of our problems. And we need to go back and deal with it. And we need Jesus to save us from our sins. Now, the Bible tells me this. He told me to look to him and say, forgive me of my sins. He told me to say that to him. Why did he say that to me? All right, let me, before we look at the reason I'm going to ask him that, let me, uh, have you ever known anybody that was bothered about sin? Have you? Oh, every place I go, everybody's bothered about sin. They're just not bothered about their sin. Every place I go, I walk into the convenience store, the little crossroads grill where I get gas up there. I walk in there, guess what they're talking about? How stupid them people are. They're talking about somebody else's sin. 
On TV, they're talking about somebody else's sin. Every place I go, they're talking about somebody else's sin. I have never walked up to a group of people. You know, Biscuitville, where all the 90-year-olds go. I've never walked in. I've never walked up to anybody and them talking about their sin. They're always talking about somebody else's sin. I've never walked in the gas station up and then people going, you know, I just, I'm such a sinner. I have so many problems. Y'all pray for me. They're not doing that up there. But did Jesus tell me to pray about somebody else's sin or pray about my own sin? It is the nature of fallen humans to want to focus on yours instead of mine. Here's the picture. But what did Jesus tell me to do? Let's me and you draw a circle around me and you and let's talk about me and you. A classic picture in John chapter 8. A group of ministers found a woman who'd had sex with somebody she wasn't married to, called her an adulterer, brought her to Jesus, and they said, this woman sinned. And she should be killed because of her sin. She did, and Jesus dealt with it. But what did Jesus turn around and say to these men who wanted to deal with her sins? What did he turn and he said to them? He who is without sin among you. He said, you want to talk about sin? Let's talk about your sin. He said, I need for you to look at you for a little bit. Well, now, I maybe know Jesus missed it because they were preachers. Here's the problem. We've got our favorite list. We love to hack on. Jesus said, let's talk about ours. I stayed for a week in a minister's home years ago. I preached a revival in his church. I had to stay in his house. And uh, he was just, he was just, I'm trying to think of how nice can I say this and get away with it. He was nuts. I mean, he was rigid. He made me wear a coat and tie every day. I don't mean during the service. I mean all day long. I had, to, I had to go to the barbecue house with a coat and tie on. I'd come back looking like I'd eat right off my chest. I mean, it's just dumb. And he was so rigid and so hard on people and so demanding. And he was a great preacher and he preached on holiness. We're going to live holy and nobody's going to get away with anything. And I stayed in his house with him for that week. He treated his wife like a dog. He criticized her. He belittled her. He stabbed her. I watched her walk out of the room with tears no few times. And I thought, what is this great man of God that treats the woman he's supposed to love like Jesus loves his church? Now, listen, he was so against whoremongers and drunkards and sinners. That man needed to turn around and find him a mirror and get off of it. You understand what I'm saying? We need to deal with our stuff. Me and him had our own private revival toward the end of the week. Church was fine. He's the one that was in the need of prayer. And I helped him. Dear ones, the Bible says this, I need to ask him to forgive me my sins. Guess why? Because there is a promise, not only of forgiveness from God, but of cleansing too. He can fix the mess I'm in. I don't know if you've ever seen this before or not, but you've got to memorize this verse. Turn with me to 1 John 1, 9. Every believer must memorize this verse. And you need to hold this verse because I want to tell you something. The unholy forces of hell will fight you over this verse, I think, more than any verse in the Bible. They'll wrestle with you over this verse. And you need to memorize it. Now, what do you do when you, when you sin? What do you do? Run from God and give up? No, you run to Him. You don't need to wallow in shame. You need to go to Him. And the Bible tells me and you to do this. 1 John 1, 9, memorize this verse, cling to it. And you need to bring it back out and hold to it. The Bible says this, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our boo-boos, mistakes, does it say mistakes? Does it say my family? Dear ones, God doesn't forgive mistakes. He forgives sins. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and that's not all, and cleanse us. By the power of the Spirit of God, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The shame, the disgrace, the pain, the hurt, He not only can forgive the sin, He can clean up the mess behind us. Quit trying to clean up your mess. Take your mess to Jesus and humble yourself. He will clean up the mess and fix the messer. That's what this verse means. If I'll just come clean with him and get honest with him, he'll forgive me. Now, dear ones, I've had people struggle with things before and they're so guilt laden over things in the past. And I'll just ask them, did you not ask God to forgive you? And they say, yeah, but I'm just, you know what they're living by? They're living by their feelings instead of God's word. And you listen to me. You get honest with him and you say, this is sin and I'm sorry and I'm going to quit it and I ask you to forgive me. In that moment, you are forgiven for the rest of eternity. I don't care what you feel. It doesn't matter how I feel. His word is the truth. And uh, too many people are still struggling over stuff. And you need to do something. When you sin, if it's really sin, you need to ask him to forgive you and then do this. You need to pause and you need to receive his forgiveness. You need to say, Lord Jesus, this is wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have spoken to her like that. I shouldn't have done this. I'm going to be honest with you. You know my heart. I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. And I pause and I say, now I receive your forgiveness. Then you need to thank him for forgiving you and praise him. And I don't care how you feel. We need to start living by faith in God's word instead of how we feel. And we need to go by that book and you let him forgive you. Now, let me help you with two spirits that will get in your head. The Holy Spirit of God does not beat you up. He picks you up. Many people are beat up and down on themselves because they've made mistakes and they've sinned. Let me tell you the difference between the Holy Spirit and an unholy spirit. When you sin, the unholy spirit, which is the devil, he'll point to you and he'll say, look at you. Just look what you did. He'll shame you. He'll say, look at you. That's not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God who convicts us of sin, when I sin, he comes to me. He doesn't beat me up. He doesn't say, look at you. He says, look to Jesus. He'll always point you to Jesus. He'll say, let's go to Jesus, get this fixed. He's a healer, not a destroyer. And when you get that mess in your head that you're getting beat up over something you've done, go to Jesus, get it forgiven and be done with it. Now, I can't explain how this works, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. This is a mystery to me at how the greatest mind in the universe can say what he said in Hebrews chapter eight, when he said this, this is the covenant I will make with them. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, as he said that, I'm a man who's a great sinner. I've committed a lot of sins in my life. But I'm going to tell you, that's the reason I walk around with my head held high and my heart is clear and I enjoy my life because I've confessed them and they're gone from the mind of God for all of eternity. And he tells the truth. Now, my enemy who has instant replay of everything I've ever done wrong can stick it in his ear. He's not God. Jehovah is God. And this is what's called the battle in the spirit realm. You need to memorize this verse. And you need to confess it. Once you've done it, you need to say, I'm a forgiven person. You need to get up and go on. And don't dawdle with it. And don't let him hold you to that thing. I need to confess my sins. I love the verse. Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquities. I've had people say to me, God couldn't forgive me after all I've done. After I trusted him, he couldn't forgive me for all I've done. You don't know the power of the cross and the goodness of God to cleanse the human heart. Take the man at his word. He can do it. So I need, to con- I need to enjoy the forgiveness. But now let me point something out to you. I hate to keep, man, I hate to keep bringing this stuff up. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28. Let me point something out where we're getting sort of hung up in our land today. Proverbs 28, 
it's just a simple verse and it holds the secret of our society today. All right, dear ones, I, <laughs> I'm just going to put it in language you can understand so simply. I know people, their lives are a train wreck. They're miserable. Everything's falling apart. They're broke. Everything is awful. People can't stand to be around them. But it's everybody else's fault. We, we're going to deal with right where we live today. It's everybody else's fault. Dear ones, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And so come in Proverbs 28 at this truth. Verse 13 says this. He who covers his sins will not prosper. If nothing is going right, my nation keeps going down. My family's falling apart. I'm miserable. Nothing's work out. Dear ones, something is wrong. You can't do well when you cover your sins. What does it cover mean? Don't make excuses. Don't hide them. Bring them out in the open, deal with them. And then here's this wonderful promise. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have what? The hand of God will come back on his life. The blessing of God will be there. God will fix the mess. Dear ones, I'm telling you, the issue is simply, I got to do business before the God of heaven. I got to get this stuff right. He'll have mercy. Now, I want you to notice something in there. It does not say confess. It adds something to confession in that verse. What else do I have to do? He who confesses and... Say it again. Say it again. The folks in Arizona didn't hear you on the TV out there. Forsakes. What does forsake mean? Admit it and quit it. This is not some confessional booth I go into and get some priest to pour oil on me and go back out and do the same thing next Friday night. I got to make a decision. I got to decide I'm done living like this. I want God to forgive me and I want him to fix my life. I've got to, I've got to change directions. You know what repentance means? Turn around. And I need to turn around. Let me make an announcement. If you're hitting your head on every door you're going through, you might ought to turn around. That was so good right there. I'm amazed at the people who just, why do you keep hitting your foot with that hammer? Quit asking me to pray for you. Quit hitting your foot. You'll feel better soon. We need to confess and forsake. Get it out of the way. And then let me throw something in here to help you. Why did God tell me in Luke 11, why did he tell me to talk to him about this every day? You know, he said daily. I said, Brother Brian, I think because you're that bad, you probably sin every day. You probably need it every day. <laughs> why did he say to do this daily? Let me teach you something perhaps you didn't know here. There's something dangerous going on here. Uh, 25 years old, I spent the day with Bertha Smith. She was 99 years old. She died a few months later. She's the lady who was part of uh, igniting that great revival in China in the 30s and 40s that is the great underground church in China now. I spent the day with her and I got ready to leave. She said, now son, you remember one thing, I tell you this. She said, you keep your sin list short. You deal with your sins every day before God. Don't let them back up. And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I'll do that. And, uh, and the, there's a reason for this. I don't know if you understand this or not. Dear ones, there's a power behind sin to work in your life and it'll do something to you. I maybe know what sin does to the human heart. If I rebel against God, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna give you a picture of this, you see if you agree with me. What does sin do to the human heart? Does anybody know? Well, turn and look with me in Hebrews chapter three. And I'm gonna show you this, and you'll see this happening in people's lives. You can see it happening in your own life. It's amazing to me that the one thing that's killing our land, we ignore. Hebrews 3.13 says this. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another. Encourage, what I'm doing is encouraging you today. 
Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any one of you be what? Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What does that verse say sin will do to my heart? It'll make it hard. See if you agree with this, all right? You do something and you know it's not right. Maybe you talk ugly to somebody or you stab somebody with your words and you, you talk ugly to somebody and that bothers you a little bit right here. You, I, I shouldn't have said that. But you don't deal with it. A few days later, you do it again. And it's going to bother you, but it's not going to bother you as much. A few days later, you do it again. It's going to bother you just a little bit, but not near as much. You keep doing it, your heart will get so hard, it won't bother you anymore. That's what it means. The human heart gets hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. One of my dear friends I grew up with, went to high school with him. He was an executive with NASCAR called me several years ago and he asked me if I could come see him. He was in jail in, in uh, Greensboro, Guilford County Jail. He'd been arrested for some of the most awful things and he was facing 30 years in prison. And I went to see him and uh, I, I was just shocked. He was a deacon in a Baptist church. He was a good man. And I asked him, I said, how did you get here? How did you do this stuff with these young girls? You know what he said to me? He said, if you'd have told me three years ago I'd have done this, I'd have hit you. I'd have been angry for you saying it. He said, it started out watching this. And all of a sudden that wasn't enough for me. And then I had to have this. And that wasn't enough. Then I had to have this. And he said, that thing, my heart got harder and harder and harder. And now here I am. I've ruined my family, ruined my business. And I got 30 years in that, uh, that famous person's prison up there in Indiana. And he'll be up there for the rest of his life. You know what happened? God dealt with that man when he started right here, but he wouldn't listen to him and his heart got hard. Listen to me. A hard heart is a dangerous thing. That's why I need to deal with it every day. And that's why he said daily, let's make sure this thing stays clean so it doesn't get backed up inside of there. I need a daily checkup. And let, let me tell you, let me tell you how I, I'm just going to show you how we do this. We'll look at this later. I pray this prayer every day. And when I get to the part where it says, forgive me my sins, I don't rush through it. I just stop. And wait for a minute. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job inside of me to point anything out. Surely you know that there can be something in there you don't know about. That's why the Bible said when the Holy Spirit's come, He'll point it out to you. He'll convict you of sin. And I always stop right there and I give Him time to speak to me about anything in my life. Because I'm going to tell you what I found. I have done things I didn't know I'd done. But He is so faithful to help me. And then we deal with it, right? This is deal with it. A lot of times I'll pray the prayer of Psalm 139 where David said this, search me, O God. See if there be any unclean way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And he is so good to me. Um, that's why we need to just every day bow before him and say in humility, is there anything you need to deal with in this heart? And let's get it out because I, I do not want that stuff <clears throat> in my life. Dear we need to be a people who deal with the junk in our hearts. And we've reached a place in this land now where we have not dealt with the stuff in our hearts and our hearts are getting so hard in this nation. And we're talking about people and treating people in a way I never thought we would. Let me give you one of the great mysteries in the Bible. There's a man in the Bible. <clears throat> he, uh, his father had eight sons and he said this about his sons. Seven of my sons have potential. I got one won't ever amount to nothing. And this man's father didn't think he'd ever amount to anything. But God chose that little fellow. And God raised that boy up 
And God Almighty put his hand on him and he made him the greatest king that ever lived, made him the greatest musician that ever lived, made him the greatest warrior, commander, military commander that ever lived. One day Jesus is coming back to this earth and he is going to sit on the throne of David. No doubt David is the man that God did more for than any man that ever lived. Doesn't that sound crazy to you? Was not David also one of the greatest sinners that ever lived? Why would God do so much for a man that was such a great sinner? Stole a man's wife, murdered. He had a warrior that was a, one of his most loyal soldiers. He killed him to have his wife. Why would God do so much for such an man? That's not all he did wrong either. How could this man be called the man after God's heart in the Bible if he was such a sinner? Let me tell you something about David. David wasn't only a great sinner. David was a great repenter. And David was a man who instead of playing games and hiding, and I'll just quote to you Psalm 51, he stood up and he said, against you and you only have I sinned. Search me, O God. Cleanse my heart. Wash me with hyssop. I'll be as white as snow. You know why God blessed that man so much? It wasn't because he was sin free. It was because he would be honest with God and let God deal with his heart. And he'd do business with him. And we need to be a people who do that. Let me paint you a picture of this stuff. <clears throat> I've got a buddy. I met him several years ago, three or four years ago, I think. His name is Jim Folks, and Jim lives in Boone now. He's a retired surgeon. He spent 40 years in Africa in one of the most remote places on earth running a bush hospital, a big hospital for Africa, had about 200 beds. He was a surgeon and he administrated the hospital. And I, I happened to read his book one time. He wrote a book about hunting dangerous animals in Africa. And then I met him and I just finished his biography. And he said, you know, life was very difficult in the bush. We lived way out there. He said, we were 180 miles from the nearest grocery store, 120 miles from the nearest paved road. And he said, it was such a dangerous place for our family to live. Uh, he said, especially the wild animals. He said, we had trouble with leopards. You know, I had trouble with barking dogs. They had trouble with leopards. And he said, elephants. People think elephants are nice. He said, the only nice elephant was raised in case. He said, elephants are vicious. They'll eat you. And he said, especially we were in that place where the, all those terrible snakes of Africa were just infested around there. Now listen, our poisonous snakes in North America are earthworms compared to the snakes of Africa. And he said the black mamba was big in our area and said you, the Africans called it the 12-step snake because that's about all you got after it bit you. He said you lived 15 seconds, you fell over dead because the poison went to your heart immediately and paralyzed it. And he said we had the vipers, but he said the cobra was an unusual problem in our area. And he said, many a time I would deal with cobras around the hospital compound there. And he said, <clears throat> I don't know how this happened, but he said, apparently our housekeeper left the door open one day and a cobra got inside of our house. And he said, we didn't know it. I don't know how long it'd been in there, but he said, one night I'm getting ready to go to bed. And he said, I went in my bedroom. There's that cobra right in the middle of the floor. And so when I walked in there, that cobra reared up on me about two feet in the air and opened its hood toward me. And he said, uh, <clears throat> Jim said, immediately when he did that, I grabbed my pistol and I sent him to his maker. <laughs> he said, I made short work. I got rid of him. Yeah. How many of you think he sort of overreacted there a little bit? <laughs> Go and get your pajamas on. Go and brush your teeth. We'll deal with that cobra later. What do you think? Oh no, I'm like him. That cobra would have been face to face with his maker the moment I saw it. You said, you're a little overdramatic yourself. Let me tell you something. 
You know why you need to be like that with cobras? Come on, talk to me. Why do you need to be like with the cobras? Thank you. I don't want them in the house. I've had snakes in our house a time or two. Didn't bother me because they weren't poisonous. It highly upset the woman I live with. <laughs> Let me tell you what Jesus said about cobras and sin. Jesus said, you need to be more afraid of sin in your life than you do a cobra in your house. Jesus said that. I want you to listen to how he said it. Do not fear him who destroys the body. Fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. You need to be more upset. You need to be more nervous about sin. Known sin. Now, I'm not talking about, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm talking about, I am not going to do what God says. You need to be more afraid of that than you are a cobra in your house. Because the cobra can only hurt you physically and kill you. That sin will damn your family. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your future. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what modern preachers are saying. We need to get back to the Bible. And we need to do what it says. And we need to honor him in this thing. Now, let me quit by just saying this. Living forgiven is a wonderful place to be. You want, I want to be living forgiven. I'm going to live my life forgiven. I make mistakes. I've probably made more mistakes than the next five preachers put together. But the reason I'm so blessed is I learned from King David, when you sin, stand up and tell the man and be honest with him and quit it. Admit it and quit it and go on and deal with it. And if you've hurt people, go back and ask them to forgive you. Don't let this stuff grow. Deal with it right then. And I love, I want you to, I want to quote to you what King David said in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Blessed by God is the man whom to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Dear ones, I want the blessed life. I want God's hand on me. I like being able to sleep at night. I mean, I sleep something fierce. <clears throat> Once in a while people say to me, does that not bother you what them people are saying about you on that social media platform? Well, no, for one reason, I've never turned one on. The off button is one of the greatest tools you need to start using in your life. Can I get a witness? Number two, I like sleeping. I like being happy. I like being at peace. I like not arguing. I like not fussing. I like loving people. And I like going fishing. And I like eating jelly donuts. And you ain't messing with me. And I ain't getting in sin. I'm done with it. I've seen what it does to people. I don't want any more of it. I don't know why you keep peddling it. I'm done with it. And we need to make up our minds. We are finished with this stuff. The beauty of a, of a living, forgiven life. Now, <clears throat> here I am with my simple, dumb, backwards, hit cowboy self. Are you ready? There's only one problem on this planet. And it's sin. Joy to the world. The Lord has come to save me from my sins. All right, we're going to pray in here. If you've never been forgiven of your sins and you've never bowed your heart before God, and you've never had the guts to confess to him, I am a sinner. You might be a good person, but all, did we not read all have sinned? And I want you to bow your heart before God and I want you to say to him, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I need to be a child of God. And I believe in the cross. Dear ones, only the cross can save you for eternity and make you a child of God. Nobody's born a child of God. You have to come to the cross. Jesus is the only way to get there. And we're going to pray and invite you to do that. For those of you that are believers, you know you're a child of God. We're going to take a little bit of time. And I think we need to, one of the reasons that we have worship in our church is not just so we can enjoy the music, it's so the presence of God can come and search our hearts and help us. And we have a time for our hearts to get cleaned out. And then we can go live our lives with the joy and grace of God after that. Father, I want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for the precious spirit of God that does business with the hearts of men and women. I pray for every person in this room. I, I don't know what their religious background is. I don't know where they've been. I don't know what they've done. <clears throat> but as I often say to you, draw a circle around me and you, oh God. Just me and you face to face. And let's do business between the two of us. I want to praise you and thank you that the heart of God is so good. I want to thank you that there's room at the cross for me. And I want to praise you and thank you for the day that you spoke to me and said, it's not their fault, son. Your sins have separated me from you. And I want to praise you that there is mercy and forgiveness with the Lord. And I want to pray for people. I think you'll hear my prayer in this room that have never bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and put him in charge of their lives. I pray that on this day, this will be the day where they decide to follow Jesus. 100%, no foolishness, follow Jesus. I trust you for that. Friend, if you're seated here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ and followed Jesus and accepted Him as your Savior and Lord, let's do it right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer like a child. Say this with me in your heart right there where you're seated. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross for me, but I believe you rose from the grave because you are almighty God. And I come to you today trusting your promise. I ask you to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. I turn from them. I turn my life to you. Today I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, and the love of my life. From this day forward, I follow you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Show me what to do. Teach me your ways. I want to follow you. Thank you for being my God and my Father. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, precious Son of God. And friend, if you prayed that prayer, raise your hand real high where I can see it. Put it up real high. Thank you. Put those down. Father, I want to praise you and thank you that you're still calling people to follow your Son and love Him with all of their hearts. Now, friend, if you are a believer, you know for certain you're a believer. Let me ask you a question. Is everything right between you and your Savior? Is it right in your soul? Is there anything that the Spirit of God's put His finger on today? An attitude? A word? Anything that needs to be dealt with before the living God? You're listening to a man that loves you and cares about you. I want the best for you. And I know that sin destroys. That's why I want to get it out. So let's take just a moment before the Lord and say, search me, O God, if there's anything, anything. It may be a little to other people, but I don't want anything between me and the God who loves me and blesses me. Search my heart. Father, I want to praise you and thank you for the sweet, precious Spirit of God that always leads us back to the Son of God. Sometimes I wonder how prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. How do we get so far away from you sometimes? Well, I don't know that, but I praise you and thank you that if a man had a hundred sheep and lost one, he would always be searching for that one till he got them back. Thank you that your Spirit's always pursuing us always trying to bring us back to you, always bringing us to the best. Thank you for being so good to us. We give you all the praise and glory. 
Thank you for my church family that I love dearly. Father, I am so tired of watching things collapse, fall apart, and be broken when they don't need to be. You are greater than anything on this planet that's destroying homes and lives. And I thank you and praise you that you're the healer, the savior, the deliverer, and the blessed one. That Jesus be glorified in every heart in this room. In his precious name I pray, amen.